Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook, episode 42. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them, having Really hard time, not zone cat. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start today, as you can oh, see. Lady Punnett's pronouns are she, her, or primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. Is today a she, her, or they, them they, uh, day for you? Yes. All, all of the above? All of the above. Cool. <sighs> we would like to... Sorry. We would like to welcome you to our podcast where we are going through the amulet of samarkand we're going to be going through chapter 26 today we are going to be getting back to nathaniel but before we do if you would like to follow us on social media and see what we're currently up to with all of our projects you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiot book nook there you will find all of our socials, you'll find all of our links, you'll find links to our podcast, to our website, like our, our podcast stream. Uh, if you go to anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook, you can also leave us a voicemail if you want to leave some feedback for us. We would be more than happy to entertain you on a viewer feedback episode. And we would love to be able to do so for our 50th, uh, which is coming up here in roughly eight episodes. So... Yay. With that being said, is our narrator ready to take chapter 26 away? Sure thing. Excellent. Please excuse the sound of any air conditioners in the background. At the time of recording for this episode, it is summer and it is hot and yeah. Oh, can you guys hear my air conditioner in the background? I was more talking about mine. Oh, is there anything going on in my background? No. I mean, your thing is staying green even when you're not talking, so maybe it's like picking up a slight thing, but not enough to be worrying some. Okay. That being said, let's get on with chapter 27. Sweet. All right. <clears throat> the Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud. Narrated by The Reading Dragon. Voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blazewing2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 26. Nathaniel. As evening drew on, the clenching agonies of dread closed in upon Nathaniel. Place pacing about his room like a panther in a cage, he felt as if he were trapped in a dozen different ways. Yes, the door was locked, so he could not physically escape, but this was the least of his problems. At the very moment, his servant, Bartimaeus, was imprisoned in the tower, being subjected to whatever torture the high magicians could devise. If it really had caused carnage in central London, this was exactly what the demon deserved. But Nathaniel was its master. He was responsible for its crimes. And that meant the magicians would be looking for him, too. 
under torture, the threat of perpetual confinement would be forgotten. Bartimaeus would tell them Nathaniel's name, and the police would come to call. And then, with a shiver of fear, Nathaniel remembered the injuries Sholto Pin had displayed the evening before. The consequences would not be pleasant. Even if by some miracle, Bartimaeus kept quiet, there was, pro there was Underwood to deal with too. Already, Nathaniel's master had promised to disown him, and perhaps worse. Now, he only had to read the scribbled notes he had removed from Nathaniel's room to, dis to discover precisely what his apprentice had summoned. Then, he would demand the full story. Nathaniel shuddered to guess what methods of persuasion he might use. What could he do? Mrs. Underwood had suggested a way out. She had advised him to simply tell the truth. But the thought of revealing his secrets to his master's spite and sarcasm made Nathaniel feel physically sick. Thrusting the dilemma aside, Nathaniel summoned the wary imp and, ignoring its protest, sent it out to spy on the Tower of London once more. From a safe distance, he watched in awe as an angry horde of green-winged demons spiraled like locusts above the parapets, then suddenly dispersed in all directions across the darkening sky. Impressive, that is. The scrying glass commented. Real class. You don't mess with them high-level gin. Who knows? It added. Maybe some of them are coming for you. Find Underwood, Nathaniel snarled. Where he is and what is he doing? My, aren't we in a bait? Let's see, Arthur Underwood. Nope, sorry. He's in the tower too, can't get access. But we can speculate, can't we? The imp chuckled. He's probably talking to your Bartimaeus pal right now. Further observation of the tower was obviously useless. Nathaniel tossed the disc under the bed. It was no good. He would have to come clean about everything. He would have to tell his master, someone he had no respect for, who had failed to protect him, who had cowered and sniveled before Lovelace. Nathaniel could tell, Nathaniel could well imagine how Underwood's fury would be expressed in sneers and jibes and fears for his own petty reputation. And as for what would happen then, perhaps an hour later, he caught the echo of a door slamming somewhere below. He froze, listening for his master's dreaded footsteps on the stair. But for a long while, no one came. And when the key did turn in the lock, he knew already, from the gentle wheezing, that it was Mrs. Underwood outside. She carried a small tea tray with a glass of milk and a rather curled tomato and cucumber sandwich. I'm sorry this is late, John, she said. Your food's been ready for ages, but your master came home before I could bring it up. She took a deep breath. I mustn't stop. Things are a little hectic downstairs. What? 
What's happening, Mrs. Underwood? Eat your sandwich. There's a good boy. It looks like you, you need it. You're quite pale. It won't be long before your master calls you, I'm sure. But did he say anything? Heavens, John! Will you stop asking questions? He said a great deal, but nothing that I'm going to share with you now. There's a pan of water on downstairs, and I have to make him something quickly. Eat your sandwich, dear. He's my master. He's locked himself in his study with orders not to be disturbed. Apart from his food, of course. There's quite an emergency on. An emergency. In that instant, Nathaniel came to a sudden decision. Mrs. Underwood was the only person he could trust. The only person who truly cared. He would never... Um, he would tell her everything. About the amulet about Lovelace. She would help him with Underwood, even with the police if necessary. He didn't know how, but she would make everything all right. Mrs. Underwood? She held up a hand. Not now, John. I haven't time. But Mrs. Underwood, I really need... Not a word more. I have to go. And with a harassed smile, she went. The door shut. The key turned. Nathaniel was left staring after her. For an instant, he felt as if he were about to cry. Then, a stubborn anger swelled inside him. He was... Was he some naughty child to be left moping in the attic while his punishment was prepared? No. He was a magician. He would not be ignored. All his equipment had been taken. He had nothing left, except the scrying glass, and all that could, and all that could do was look. Still, looking might lead to knowledge, and knowledge was power. Nathaniel took a bite of the curling sandwich and instantly regretted it. Setting the plate aside, he crossed to the skylight and looked out at London's carpeting of yellow lights stretching away under the night sky. Surely, if Bartimaeus had mentioned his name, Underwood or the police would have collared him by now. It was curious. And this emergency, was it related to Bartimaeus? Was it related to, was it related to Bartimaeus or not? Underwood was below, doubtless on the phone. The solution was simple. A little spying would swiftly clear up the matter. Nathaniel retrieved the scrying glass. My master's in his study. Go close so that I see all. Moreover, listen and relay everything he says directly and accurately to me. Who's a little sneak then? Sorry, sorry, fair enough. You're mortals? Your morals are none of my business. Here we go, then. The center of the disc cleared. In its place, a strong, clear view of his master's study. Underwood sat in his leather chair, hunched forward with both elbows on his desk. One hand was clutching the telephone receiver. The other waved and just... and just... <clears throat> sorry... 
gesticulated. Gesticulated, okay. The other waved and gesticulated as he talked. The imp drew closer. Now the agitation on Underwood's face became clear. He was plainly shouting. Nathaniel wrapped the disc. What's he saying? The imp's voice began in the middle of a sentence. There was a slight delay between Underwood's lips moving and the sound reaching Nathaniel, but he could see the imp was reporting accurately. Telling me all three escaped, leaving dozens of casualties. It's unheard of. Whitwell and Duvel must answer for this. Yes, well, I do feel strongly, Grigori. This is... Science is... Significant. Thank you. This is significant. This is a significant blow to my inquiries. I was intending to interrogate it myself. Yes, me. Because I'm sure it is linked to the artifacts thefts. It's the latest escalation. Everyone knows the finest objects are held at pins. It was hoping to steal them. Well, yes, it would mean a magician was involved. Yes, I know that's unlikely. Even so, this was my one of my best leads. The only lead to be truthful. But what do you expect when I'm given no funding? What about their identities? No joy there either? This will be kicked in the teeth for Jessica. That's one good thing to come out of the whole Sawyer affair. Yes, I suppose so. And listen, Grigori, changing the stomach for a moment, I want to ask your opinion on something more personal. At this, the imp's commentary stopped, though Underwood was evidently still talking. His mouth close up, uh, his mouth close up to the receiver. Nathaniel applied an improving shock to the disc, at which the imp's face appeared. Oh, there was no call for that. The sound. Where's the sound? He's whispering, ain't he? I can't hear a thing, and it ain't safe to go any closer. Let me hear it. But boss, you know there's a safe limit. Magicians often have protective sensors. You know, even this guy. Nathaniel's face felt sore and puffy under the strain. He was past caution. Do it, and you won't want me to ask again. The imp did not answer. Underwood's face reappeared, so close it almost filled the center of the disc. The hairs tufting from his nostrils were rendered in loving, three-dimensional detail. The magician was nodding. I agree. I suppose I should be flattered. Yes, looking at it that way, the boy is a testimony to my hard graph and inspiration. Now my old master... He broke off, with a wince and a shudder, as if something cold had brushed against him. Sorry, Grigori. It was just, I felt... Nathaniel saw the eyes narrow, the familiar brows beetle sharply. At this, the image on the disc suddenly broadened out, as if the imp were retreating hurriedly across the room. Underwood uttered a loud syllable. Underwood uttered a loud syllable. The imp's voice tried to copy it. 
but cut out midway, as if turned off like a radio. The image remained, quivering strangely. Nathaniel couldn't suppress a catch in his voice. Imp, what's happening? Nothing. Silence from the imp. I order you to leave the study and return to me. No answer. The image in the disc was not reassuring. Shaky though it was, Nathaniel could see Underwood putting down the telephone, then slowly rising and coming round to the front of his desk, all the while peering hard, up, down, in every direction, as if hunting for something he knew was there. The image shook still harder. The imp seemed to be redoubling its efforts to escape, but to no avail. In mounting panic, Nathaniel applied a few frantic shocks to the disc in vain. The imp was frozen, unable to speak or move. Underwood crossed to a cupboard at the back of the study, rummaged within it, and returned, carrying a metal cylinder. He shook it. From four small holes at its top, a white powder a white powder was emitted, which quickly spread out to fill the room. Whatever the powder did, the effect was immediate. Underwood gave a start and stared upward, directly at Nathaniel. It was as if the disc was a window and he was looking directly through it. For a moment, Nathaniel thought his master could actually see him. Then he realized it was simply the suspended imp that hung revealed. Horror-stricken, Nathaniel watched his master bend down to the carpet and pull out a loop of ribbon. A great square section of carpet peeled up and fell away to one side. Below were two painted pentacles. His master stepped inside the smaller, never for one moment taking his eyes away from the frozen imp. He began to speak, and within seconds a tall, misty apparition appeared within the larger circle. Underwood uttered a command. The apparition bowed and vanished. To Nathaniel's amazement, Underwood's body seemed to shimmer and slide away from itself. His master still stood within the pentacle, but another version of his master, ghost-like and see-through, stood alongside it. The ghostly form lifted into the air, kicked its kicked its heels, and began to float forward, straight to where the helpless imp was, still relaying the view from the study. Nathaniel screamed commands and shook the disc in fury, but could do nothing to stop his master's slow approach. Closer, closer. The spectral eyebrows were lowered. The glinting eyes never looked away. Now, Underwood's form swelled to fill the disc. It seemed as if it would break right through. Then, nothing. The disc showed the study again, with Underwood's physical body still standing motionless in the pentacle. Despite his panic, Nathaniel knew all too well what was happening. 
having located the spy and safely frozen it in position. Underwood had decided to follow the imp's astral cord back to its source to learn the identity of the enemy magician. Such sources might be many miles away. Perhaps his master was expecting a long journey in his genie-controlled form. If so, he was about to get a surprise. Too late. Nathaniel realized what he had to do. The window. If he could throw the disc out into the street, perhaps his master would not guess. He had only taken two strides in the direction of the skylight when, without a sound, the translucent head of Arthur Underwood swelled up through the floorboards. It was see-through and glowing with a greenish full... Phosphorescence. Phosphorescence. It was see-through and glowing with a greenish phosphorescence. The tip of the di- mm. dilapidated, the tip of the dilapidated beard extended to the floor. Slowly, slowly, the head revolved through ninety degrees, until the last, it, until at last, it caught sight of Nathaniel standing above it, holding the scrying glass in his hands. At this. An expression appeared on his master's face that Nathaniel had never seen before. It was not the familiar look of impatient disdain that had long characterized Underwood's tutelage. It was not even the fury he had witnessed that morning. It was not even the fury he had witnessed that morning following the discovery in his room. Instead, it was first a look of extreme shock, and then, and then a sudden explosion of such malice that Nathaniel's knees gave way. The disc fell from his hands. He slumped against the wall. He tried to speak, but could not. The ghostly head stared at him from the center of the floor. Nathaniel stared back unable to tear his eyes away. Then, very muffled and distant, perhaps because it was uttered by the physical body in the study far below, Underwood's voice came sounding from inside the upturned disc. Traitor. Nathaniel's mouth opened, but let forth only a strangled croak. The voice spoke again. Traitor! You have betrayed me. I shall discover who is guiding you to spy on me. No one. There's no one. Nathaniel could only manage the barest whisper. Prepare yourself. I shall come for you. The voice faded. Underwood's head descended, spiraling into the floor. The phosphorescent glow vanished with it from the room. With trembling fingers, Nathaniel picked up the disc and peered into it. After a few seconds, the view of the study grew misty as his master's spirit, as his master's spirit form passed back through the imp. It drifted away across the carpet to where the body waited. Coming alongside, it adopted the exact same posture and merged in with it and merged in with itself. 
A moment later, Underwood was himself again, and the shadowy apparition had appeared in the other circle. With a clap of the hands, Underwood dismissed the genie. It bowed and vanished. He stepped out of the pentacle, eyes blazing, and strode out of the shot toward his study door. At this, the spell on the imp was lifted and the baby's face returned to fill the disc. It blew out its cheeks with relief. Woof! I don't mind telling you that was a... That was bad for my system, it said. Having that horrible old geezer drifting straight through me right up my cord, it gives me the willies just thinking about it. Really, it does. Shut up, shut up. Beside himself with terror, Nathaniel was trying to think. Look, do us a favor, the imp said. You haven't got much time left. Can you free me now before you die? Life gets so dreary in that disc. You don't know how lonely it gets. Go on, boss. I'd really appreciate it. The baby's attempt at a, at a winning smile was interrupted as the disc was hurled against the wall. Ow! Well, I hope you enjoy what's coming to you then. Nathaniel ran to the, Nathaniel ran to the attic door and rattled desperately at the handle. Somewhere below, he heard his master's footsteps, hastening up the stairs. He's really angry, the imp called. Even his astral form practically prickled my essence as it went by. I wish I wasn't facing the floor. I'd love to watch what happens when he gets in here. Nathaniel sprang at the wardrobe, pushed at it frantically. He planned to push it in front of the door to block the way in. Too heavy, he hadn't the strength. His breathing came in fits and gasps. What's the matter? The imp asked. You're a big magician now. Call something to save your skin. An Efreet, maybe? That should do the job. Or what about that Bartimaeus you're so obsessed with? Where is he when you need him? With a sob, Nathaniel stumbled back into the center of the room and turned slowly to face the door. Nasty, ain't it? The imp's voice dripped with satisfaction. Being at someone else's mercy, now you know what it feels like. Face it, kid. You're on your own. You've got no one there to help you. Something tapped on the skylight window. After an instant in which his heart nearly stopped, Nathaniel looked. A disheveled pigeon was... A disheveled pigeon was sitting beyond the glass, gesticulating urgently with both wings. In doubt, Nathaniel stepped closer. Bartimaeus? The pigeon wrapped its beak several times against the pane. Nathaniel raised his hand to undo the catch. A key rattled in a lock. With a bang, the bedroom door burst open. Underwood stood there, his face pink with exertion and framed by a furious white mane of hair and beard. Nathaniel's arm dropped to his side. He turned to his master. 
The pigeon had vanished from the window. It took, a mo it took Underwood a moment to regain his breath. Miserable boy. Who's controlling you? Which of my enemies? Nathaniel could feel his whole body trembling, but he forced himself to stand stock still and look, mas his, and look his master in the eyes. No one, sir. I... Is it Duval or Mortensen? Lovelace. Nathaniel's lip curled at the last name. None of those, sir. Who taught you to make the glass? Who told you to spy on me? Despite his fear, anger flared in Nathan Despite his fear, anger flared in Nathaniel's heart. He spoke with contempt. Will you not take my word? I've already said there is no one. Even now your lie you continue your lies. Very well. Take a last look at this room. You will not be returning here. We will go to my study, and you will enjoy the company of my imps until your tongue is loosened. Come! Nathaniel hesitated, but there was no help for it. His master's hand descended on his shoulder and clamped it like a vice. Almost bodily, he was propelled out of the door and down the attic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Almost bodily, he was propelled out of the door and down the attic stairs. On the first landing, Mrs. Underwood met them, in haste and out of breath. When she saw Nathaniel's hapless posture and the fury on her husband's face, her eyes widened with distress, but she did not comment. Arthur. She panted. There's a, there is a visitor to see you. I haven't the time. This boy. It's a matter of greatest urgency, he says. Who? Who says? Simon Lovelace Arthur. He practically showed himself in. And thus ends chapter 27 of the Amulet of Summer Camp. Okay, can I just say that our theory that uh, little Miss N Mr. Nathaniel is totally and utterly reckless is proven even further, where no. it's even shown he probably would have been fine. Like, yeah, Lovelace, uh, not Lovelace, Underwood was pissed this morning. But on that phone call, he was shown. He was impressed. Oh, yeah. But then he had to be a stupid idiot and get the imp from the scrying glass uh, close enough to hear the whispers and then if, get caught. If and not even listening to the imp who said, look, there are some magicians who have this type of thing that protects them. And he didn't want to listen because mm -hmm. he thought the imp was beneath him because he yep. thought he knew better. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a hard lesson to learn. All fucked up, except it, it, it would have all been fine if he hadn't sent the imp. Mm -hmm. Can we also talk for a moment? There was a bit of information dropped here that we theorized about either last episode or the episode before. Mm -hmm. Remember the escape that was made from the tower by yep. the by the two of the, uh, by uh, Bartimaeus and the other demon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They said all three escaped, which means our theory was incorrect, which means the other guy got free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, I have a there's thought. A third, there's a third demon running, out, running around out there somewhere. We were wrong. Apparently he didn't die. That was a nugget that I just about squealed at. Yeah. Here, I had a thought then, because we know Bartimaeus is back there now. No. What if Jabor was following from a distance 
the whole time and yeah. followed Bartimaeus. Uh-huh. And that's how... Although, the fact that Lovelace just appeared might negate that theory, since it's Unlo- a little too soon. Unless, unless the third demon went to Lovelace, let him know what was going on, and then Lovelace started putting shit together. Or Lovelace just, like, happens to be over at Underwood's residence. Unless, another theory, one of the demons has disguised themselves as Lovelace. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to mention. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea that Lovelace has been informed as to what's going on and has decided to take matters into his own hands. Mm-hmm. The, the other demon went to Lovelace and was like, here's what's going on. And then Lovelace started putting things together. I'm wondering if... <sighs> so we know there's malice between Lovelace and Nathaniel. We know there's an issue there. Yeah. That being said, Nathaniel has shown that the scope of his abilities are well beyond the expectations of anyone. They're well beyond the expectations that anyone was hoping for. He has more ability. He has the ability to actually learn and to adapt in most cases. I'm wondering if maybe Lovelace is like, this could be an ally. Yeah. If he wasn't so reckless. Now, another tidbit that was made mention. Mm-hmm. Underwood named Lovelace as one of his enemies. Yep. So. We have that too. Looking at it from Nathaniel. From Nathaniel's point of view. Nathaniel is absolutely disgusted by Lovelace. He he doesn't like the guy. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if his hate for Lovelace is stronger than his hate for Underwood. Who does he, who does Nathaniel dislike more? I would imagine Underwood because of the um, greater amount of experience between him and Underwood. There there was only a couple slights between him and Lovelace. Whereas he and Underwood have been going back and forth for years. Yeah. I'm wondering if we might be seeing a switch of mentor here. Maybe. I don't... So I would argue that... Maybe he, uh, Nathaniel has a bigger slight towards Lovelace. Okay. Lovelace did insult him. He um, insulted him, and he is one of the main reasons that he is now on this revenge bent to try and get back at Lovelace and Underwood. Yeah. Nathaniel likes neither Lovelace nor Underwood. He has no love for either of them. He mm-hmm. dislikes them. He is absolutely disgusted by both of them. Mm-hmm. He has tried to set up Lovelace, but Underwood has also named Lovelace as his enemy. And keep in mind here, I'm going on the assumption of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. I think... Because one, I imagine if it was that easy to change an apprentice, like give an apprentice to another mentor that... Underwood would have done it by now. Underwood has also been proven to be incompetent mm-hmm. at his, at, in his duties. He has proven to be not exactly the brightest. He's mediocre at best. Yep. Lovelace, want- on the, Lovelace, on the other hand, has proven that he has greater aptitude than Underwood. Uh-huh. I wonder... Okay. Possible theory. Yep. I wonder if that's an act. 
Because remember, Nathaniel said he was surprised to see his master suddenly have a ghostial form. To our knowledge, we have Nathaniel has never seen Underwood do feats of magic. That's outside of like what he had set up with the imps in his office. Mm -hmm. I wonder. I'm wondering if Underwood hates being a magician, hates the fact that he was selected to be an apprentice, hates demons, hates the fact that he has to do this, hates the fact that he has to force a kid to go through what he did and is actually much more competent than he appears to be, but puts on this whole facade of being uncompetent in order to make sure he doesn't get apprentices to not bring more people into the world. Like, if he wasn't a magician, he probably would have been a really good um, private eye investigator. Or at least a disgruntled investigator. Interesting Mm -hmm. thought. Because Because the the apartment he's in, he cares about it a lot. And and is... Go ahead. Well, it it was that whole bit, like I said, of Nathaniel being surprised to see it. Like, the way that he's read it, it made it seem like he didn't think his master could do that. So maybe it's a higher level than it is. And mm-hmm. his master knows what Nathaniel is talking about. And he was saying how he himself was impressed with the writings he had. I wonder if he has purposely made it so that he doesn't advance more in his magic because he just doesn't want to be a magician. Maybe. Okay, so going out on another limb here, following that line of thought. I don't know if it's a theory or just me musing and whatnot, but this whole thing, Underwood is furious right now. Like, he is absolutely mm-hmm. fucking livid. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, following that line of thought, if he put, starts putting two and two together, that Bartimaeus was summoned by Nathaniel. Nathaniel's been spying on him. He is pissed Nathaniel's been doing magic behind his back that Nathaniel's been spying on him but at the same time he's also impressed with the kid's ability and his his magical aptitude I'm wondering if Underwood might not start paying a little more attention to Nathaniel and uh trying to train him properly than if he's got if Underwood actually has the smarts and the ability to do so I'm wondering if this might not in turn as much as he's pissed off now, strengthen the bonds, you know, a relationship forged through the fires of hell itself. I have one of those relationships with a friend of mine, uh, one of those friendships with a friend of mine. Those bonds cannot be broken unless either one of the people involved decides to break them. There is no force on this earth unless the people involved decide to cut that off. I'm wondering if Underwood might start to take Nathaniel a bit more seriously in that case. That would depend on um, what happens in the next chapter chapter, and whether or not Underwood actually can get past his immediate anger and get through the whole um, wanting to disown Nathaniel and whatnot to actually come to those thoughts. I think I'm not sure if Underwood was actually planning on disowning Nathaniel. He might have I've, just been... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I think it was like, you've really messed up. Like like I was saying last time when I was playing Devil's Advocate on how Underwood was mostly concerned for the safety of the people in the house himself and his wife. 
and by extension Nathaniel. I am wondering if it was a scare tactic that basically saying, if you don't care about the people in this house enough to take these seriously, you do not need to be in this house. Mm -hmm. That's totally fair. Um, going on the thought of Underwood not liking being a magician, what if he's trying to stifle Nathaniel's ability in order to stamp that out? Whoa. I don't see that being the case, but it was just kind of an errant thought running around my head. I'm not then, then again, we wouldn't have the story, right? I think, I don't think it's possible to stifle it out, but I think what, and I mean, we have facts to back this up. I think Underwood from the very start has been trying to put the fear of hell into Nathaniel that this is not something to be taken lightly. You okay, need to go through what... extensive research, extensive history uh i want to and nathaniel even said like no doubt that underwood would have like several different things set up before he could even summon his first level demon mm -mm. but to me that just sounds like someone who's overly cautious because they were slighted other than the path that nathaniel's taken where he's actually done stuff what if this is the natural evolution of magicians where they have to go through all of this history or they have to go through all of this knowledge and most people generally do that because you know, who am I to question my, my, my master's rules and my master's uh, wants and needs? He's teaching me what I am. Mm -hmm. We know Nathaniel's impatient. We know that he's reckless. He doesn't always think things through, which, I mean, which one of us really does when we're in a pinch? Yep. What if he's literally just defying the natural order of things? Maybe. Um, I, had I also want to know what happened to that fucking girl from earlier, the one who Bartimaeus couldn't touch. I have a thought. Okay. Uh, Blaze, you, huh? you won't understand because you haven't seen Avatar The Last End Airbender. Nathaniel is basically Zuko without an Uncle Iroh. Okay. He so Uncle Iroh is like this wise old man who wise beyond his years, very patient, very understanding, tries to help him through like what what's going on, helps with his eventual redemption arc. So basically, instead of having Uncle Iroh, he had a different teacher who was basically the head water bending teacher in the North Pole. And however, the person in the North Pole was very rigid, defined by gender norms, and misogynistic because he refused to teach female waterbenders because they were only allowed to be healers and were not allowed to fight. So basically, instead of having this calm, kind, understanding mentor, Nathaniel instead has this very rigid, by the book, you have to do this, this, and this. This is the only way to do it. If you don't do it this way, you will die. You mean rigid? Yes. Whereas Nathaniel needs someone who will help curb that, like similar to what his art teacher was trying to teach him. What if his art teacher is the girl? I think she was a little bit old to be the girl. Unless nothing, the nothing. girl is doing magic bullshit to disguise herself. Or maybe she has the ability to change her appearance. Maybe Just, it's her sister. Again, errant thought. It could be her sister. Or, mm -hmm. we don't know, she could have a daughter. Yeah. Maybe. 
Interesting. Um, but yeah, so Mrs. Underwood, I understand you were going through a lot this chapter with your husband being pissed and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you could have taken like two minutes to listen to Nathaniel and possibly tell him like, don't do shit. Because I think at this point, Mrs. Underwood is the only one that Nathaniel will listen to, which is kind of sad. Well, not sad, but like, you need more adults in your life. You're 12. You're not an adult. You, need, you don't know better. Yeah. You keep doing stuff and getting yourself in more trouble instead of just sitting and waiting. One of our audiences, uh, audience members has redeemed a cat check. Kitty oh, check! Uh, oh, hello. Come here. Come here. Come here! No, fine. Come here. I I unfortunately don't have a cat, but I have this little tiger squishy attached to my water bottle. This is Nacho. He is roughly 10 months old, I think. I have to do math. Uh, He is part Mancoon, and he's got the fluffiest toe beans. Yes, he does. And he he has the fluffiest tail. Also, ah. this has been a highly invigorating chapter. Yes, there there was a lot of action in this chapter, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Jay says Nathaniel reminds me of Loki. I can see that. Yeah, one second. So, I don't know. It's been it's been there, there's been a lot of action this chapter, and I mean, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of nuggets of information dropped. Um, we've seen—I don't, I don't want to say we've seen how pissed off Underwood can get because I don't think this is like even close to the top li- the the top limit of his anger. Mm-hmm. But we have seen him get fairly ups, like fairly livid. Mm-hmm. We've seen Mrs. Underwood completely torn about Nathaniel. We've seen Nathaniel once again be completely reckless. Yeah. Basically, people have said, Nathaniel, don't do the thing. And Nathaniel has done the thing. Don't do it, Nathaniel. Oh, hold it up. Hold my beer. <laughs> don't do it, Nathaniel. Oops. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, Lady Funnet. We were just saying that uh, this chapter uh, this chapter is once again very much... Somebody tells me, uh, basically, don't do it, Nathaniel. Oops. Uh, Jay says chaos reigns and yes yes it does there's a lot of chaos in this chapter there's a Damn lot of action and I love it. Damn it I wish I had like a like the little fire backdrop background mm-hmm. to go uh, like on like behind me mm-hmm. to do that whole Elmo meme, meme. chaos reigns <laughs> yeah basically Nathaniel has an issue because he thinks He's going through his teenage rebellion very early. Where mm-hmm. He thinks he knows better than uh-huh. his superiors. He thinks he knows better than Lovelace. He knows better than Underwood. It's not but just he- teenage rebellion, though, because how many have either of you been through university by any chance? I went to no. college. So in the academic sphere, you see this with certain people. And I went through a phase like this myself where... You get into university, you start learning all of this crap, like all of this stuff that's going to help you later in life or that is going to give you kind of a higher outlook on life around you. It's going to help you develop skills and give you knowledge. And 
people tend to develop the mentality of, I know more than the general population. They, they tend to develop the idea of, I'm smarter than you, specifically because I'm going to university. And it took me forever to break myself mm -hmm. out of that mentality. It is a very dangerous slope. It is something that is very, it's a, it's a slippery slope, really, because mm -hmm. that can lead to a whole lot of issues. You know, that whole, I have a bachelor's degree, therefore I am more important than you. That's not the way that you want to go. Mm hmm we're starting to see that because Nathaniel suddenly has access to all of this information. He has access to all of this knowledge and all of this power, but he's letting it go to his head. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel was given access to the library before Lovelace, correct? Yes. So he started getting that mentality a while before like the first party. Yes. He mm -hmm. has the knowledge, but he doesn't have the wisdom and the experience to temper it. Yep. And he lacks the, well, like you said, he lacks the wisdom to know, hey, maybe I shouldn't make fun of this person who's been a magician for longer than I've been alive. Mm -hmm. That being said, they also got rid of the one person who may have been able to impart these lessons on him, which was his art teacher. Mm -hmm. She was calm. She was collected. She was, he was learning while she was there. Yeah. He was starting to understand the world around him. His idea of like learning to draw pentacles. He made a connection between drawing pentacles and the artwork that she was getting him to do. He was learning. And mm -hmm. because of what happened with Lovelace, they let her go. Mm -hmm. And then he started to slide. Mm-hmm. If they had it kept her, this could have theoretically all been avoided because of the way she taught him and because of the way he was learning around her. I wonder if one of the reasons they let her go was for her safety. Could be, but again. Because it was said that she did, she tried to stop Lovelace. Yeah. So I wonder, because we've seen, so we know that Underwood doesn't care about a lot of people. Correct. Mm -hmm. But he respects Mrs. Underwood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he does drink his respect woman juice and saw that this could in turn hurt her somehow because she often teaches other young uh, magicians. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he's like, listen, I know you like teaching him. I realize this. However, what you did to Miss to Lovelace puts a target on your back. And in order to make sure that you don't have a harder time. I'm going to let you go. And I'm sorry for that. I'm starting to see Underwood in a different light here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm starting to get the image of a completely different person. Not somebody that we should be hating. But somebody who's doing the best that they can. With the situation that they've been handed. He doesn't like. He may not like who he is. We don't know. We don't have enough evidence for that. But. Every time there's been a target on somebody's back, Underwood has technically stepped in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, he's, he's tried to help them, or he's tried to maybe protect them in some way, even if it didn't seem like that at the time. I'm starting to see a dual nature here. He's mm -hmm. showing people one face. Underneath, there's something else, something that actually maybe cares. That does not excuse the fact that he failed to properly socialize Nathaniel. We're not I, saying I, I it agree. is. I'm but, not ju justifying that at all. But we are seeing a duality, and it could have been a case where he doesn't have anyone to socialize Nathaniel with. 
Because here's the thing. Sadly, if you have a choice between not socializing and socializing with peers that could bring down your education or worse, be bad for your mental health, it's better to not socialize at all. Yeah. Um, he's doing, but, again, he's doing the best. It seems like he's doing the best that he can with the hand that he's been dealt. Mm-hmm. He may not know of any other way and there may be nobody he can actually turn to. But again, that dual nature, I want to see where this goes, guys. Mm-hmm. I want to I, I, I'm looking forward to the end of this book because I, I want to see what is made of the characters that we have been given. I want to see the characters that have been drawn for us. I want to see who they are, really. And that'll usually come up near the end of the story if they survive that long. Mm. Following with your uh, theory that there's a dual nature and that whenever there's been a target on somebody's back, he's been like the first one. Uh, during the bombing at the parliament building, uh, he went to the closest group of people that he could find and say, did you guys see anything? Was anybody hurt? His first da, 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 da. is trying to find the culprit. Yes. Uh-huh. But... Do we ha- do we recall anything about him trying to help the people around, or was he more interested in trying to find the culprit? I remember he tried to make himself look presentable, and then he went towards a group of people who were equally disheveled. However, Nathaniel only caught the tail end of what he was saying. So, if what he could have happened was it could have been like rapid fire, like "Are you okay? Is anybody hurt? Did anyone mm-hmm. see the culprit?" I know. Da 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 da. So Underwood, Underwood is logical during crisis. Mm-hmm. He thinks during a crisis and he utilizes his brain during a crisis, which is not a bad skill to have. That, that helps track people down. That helps solve a problem. If you're running first aid, somebody who thinks like that is somebody that you want attending to either your patient or you want them kind of organizing the crowd around you in order to keep some semblance of order, correct? It is also a trait of someone who has been in multiple traumas. Yes, it is a trauma response. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wonder if I wonder if um, Underwood uh, went through a harsher upbringing than Nathaniel did, and I'm also wondering if maybe um, Underwood may have known what his because the children that get brought in as magician apprentices they at least get a little bit of semblance yeah depending on what age they come in as so for underwood what if he had been brought in as an apprentice a little bit later than nathaniel did and he already knew and retained most of his memories of what his parents were like what if his parents or one of their what if like at least say for the time period his dad was like a police officer or a detective and underwood was is like inherited because a lot of times when you see like police officer or military families you see a lot of the offspring will inherit some sort of mentality from the previous generation absolutely what if underwood was if he had not been born a magician what if he was meant to be some sort of like police officer or law enforcement or detective well, I mean, I'm living or emergency proof. response person. I'm living proof of that. My grandmother was a CNA. My aunt's an LPN. My father was a personal care worker. My mother's an RN. 
Mm-hmm. I have extensive knowledge of like emergency medical treatment until you can get somebody more qualified to deal with it. Like I grew up le- learning that shit and not, not everybody learns that stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a very medical um, mentality when it comes to an emergency situation. Is there anybody hurt? It's usually the first thing that I go through. And then I start rendering. I, I usually carry a first aid kit on me. I will usually whip it out and start patching wounds. And I'm a fourth generation self-taught artist and crafter on my mother's side of the family. So what about you, uh, Lady Punnett? I think... For Underwood or for my personal background? Your personal background. Do you carry okay. anything from your parents? Like, how have your, parent, like, how re, how have your parents influenced you? All right. Isn't your so, mom like a, uh, a, t- a teacher or something? So my mom was a part of the education system for 27 years. She started yeah. off as a special needs teacher. She was that for about 15 years. Then she was a vice principal. Then she was a principal. And Ed, she always told me education's important. That okay. even if I didn't end up using a diploma, it was better to have one than not at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, on the other hand, is a heavy-duty mechanic who works for a mine. Mm-hmm. And so for my mom, she always taught me that education is important and that you should always strive to have a higher education, even if it's for something as simple as having a business degree or something super generic. Mm-hmm. My dad, on the other hand, always told me, taught me how trades are important because trades are often what help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... That sometimes it takes someone being inventive with a problem in order to solve it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Bearing in mind, my parents got a divorce because it turns out they couldn't stand to be around each other for too Still. long. And here's the thing. I know for a fact that if I ended up living with my dad, I probably would have ended up in a trade. Whereas since I went with my mom, I, end- I did end up working for the school board for about six years before I finally found full-time employment. With a long-term care facility. So mm-hmm. tell me, do you work well with your hands? I'm a cosplayer and a seamstress. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And because fun as far fact. As, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, even though it's not considered it by, stan- by, by uh, most... Isn't it... Uh, consi- even though it isn't considered it by most of society these days... As far as I'm concerned, cosplay is a trade because it you is a trade. Have, you have to have so many skills, so much knowledge. You have to be able to know how to build things, and you have to be able to know how to fix things on the fly with limited resources. Basically, jury rigging. That's a trade. And uh, fun fact: I learned. I learned how to sew from my grandmother, my yep. dad's mother. Yep. And. She was the one that got me into sewing, and my grandfather, her husband, my dad's dad, was a shop teacher. So my family, on my dad's side of the family, is all about working with your hands, getting the job done, being inventive. My mom's side of the family, although my mom is also the creative type, has always been, if you want to talk to me, if you... Don't come to me if you want an emotional response. Come to me if you want me to be the voice of reason and your logical yeah. response. Mm-hmm. Well, damn. Guys, I think this is a good place to wrap up for this episode. We've had some right. good discussion for this episode, and I fucking love it. One more point I want to make about Underwood, especially just to put it across. Um, yes. The fact that he's able to think 
logically in a crisis, but be angry when it comes to like invading his privacy, yep. invading his home. Also trauma responses. So it makes Agreed. me wonder if his previous master put him in multiple dangerous situations to prepare him for the real world. But the stuff that hits closer to home, like his privacy, his own safety, his own, his home safety, if that just, he did something especially horrendous to him that which, makes him respond in anger. Which would also explain why he's teaching Nathaniel the way he's teaching him, where he's given him no practical experience until he is absolutely 100% sure that the, uh, that Nathaniel is able to um, handle it. Posture check. Yeah, this is a good place to actually stop this uh, this episode, guys. I think good place to wrap up. It's almost kind of like a natural break. I just felt something crack that shouldn't have cracked. Please don't throw out your back. I with make no promises. With that being said, guys, we hope that you have enjoyed chapter twenty-seven and episode forty-three mm-hmm. of the Idiot Book Nook and the Amulet of Samarkand, the first book in the Bartimaeus trilogy. Woo! If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. At L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Idiot Book Nook. You can find our socials and all of our links there. You can find a link to our website. And you can also find a link to our podcast feed and all the, place that it, all the places that it's currently hosted. We would love to have some viewer feedback for anybody listening to the podcast. We would love to do a viewer feedback episode for our 50th. Um, if you've got something, you can go to anchor.fm slash Idiot dash Book dash Nook and leave us a message. Maybe for uh, our 100th, we could see if we could get, an, like, an interview with our th- the author. That, that would be cool. That would be very cool. I would be down for exploring that. Like, just um, see, like, if Jonathan Stroud, because he, he's liked a few of our stuff, maybe send him a DM, like, hey, would you ever be interested in, like, having, like, a discussion with us about your book and go into depth about some of your background characters? Yep. Yes. With that, uh, for episode 43 of the Idiot Book Nook, my name is Blazewing. I am the reading dragon. Oh, sorry, I'm for episode Lady... 42, not 43. <laughs> I'm Lady Punnett. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, let me try that again. For episode 42 of the Idiot Book Nook, my it's name is Blazewick. I am the reading dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we'll see you for episode 43. I keep fucking up the, the episodes. I'm sorry, guys. It ac- we'll turns start- out it's actually 45. God damn it. <laughs> oh, God. We, will, we will see you guys next episode bye bye